I invite you to open up your Bibles to Proverbs 27, or you can look at your worship guide or on the wall behind me. But just before we get to uh, God's Word, uh, we're spending a few weeks, it's going to turn into a few months actually, thinking about wisdom, uh, specifically the wisdom from the book of Proverbs. If you were with us two weeks ago, wisdom is the skill of godly living. That wisdom helps you navigate life. It's being able to discern what to do and how to do it. That's what wisdom is. But wisdom within Scripture, there's this inherent promise that if you are wise, you will have the good life. That you will thrive, that you will flourish. But that promise is not a health, a gospel, health gospel or prosperity gospel, where the idea is that if you follow Jesus, then you will be healthy. If you follow Jesus, then you will be rich. No, it's if you follow Jesus, you will be wise. It is a quiet life. It is a peaceful life. And a major part of that good life, of wise living, is relationships. It's relationships. And we desperately need relationships in our life. And that Proverbs sees very, a few different expressions of relationships, of friendships, of marriage, of parenting. And we are going to look at each one of those in the future, not today. And we're going to even think about various relational dynamics, specifically the words that we use and how we talk to one another and conflict and forgiveness. We're going to think about relational dynamics in a few weeks. But today we need to ask us a deeper question. We need to ask a deeper question because if we don't ask this question and answer it, we're going to dismiss the entire idea of relationships entirely. We're going to dismiss this idea of friendships. We're going to dismiss this idea that they are a good thing. And that question is, are relationships worth it? Are relationships worth it? Perhaps you ask this feeling Ghosted by a friend. Perhaps you ask this when you have been betrayed by someone whom you entrusted. Perhaps you wonder this when you are feeling abandoned by a loved one. Where you have been confused by a coworker, hurt by a neighbor. When you find yourself being mystified that once there was a warm and loving relationship and now it's resentful and bitter. What happened? Relationships, are they worth it? The truth is that when you think about any relationship, there are two things that are in a relationship. On one hand, you have a sinner, and on the other hand, you have a sinner. Sin is inevitable in our relationships, that you will sin against the other. That even within marriage, we, we look at the, our spouses, one to whom we've made vows, and we look at one another, we say, I love you, we say, I do, that for richer, for poorer, that we'll always be faithful, and yet there's sin. And so the, this history of relational hurts leads one to ask the question, is this worth it? And so sin, the misery of sin in life and death, gets at this question, are relationships worth it? And that's where, we, that's where our life is. That's the question that we're asking. And let's see what God's word says to this. This is Proverbs 27, verses 9 and 10, and then we'll jump ahead to verse 17. Proverbs 27, 9 
through 10 and 17. Oil and perfume make the heart glad. And the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Do not forsake your friend and your father's friend. And do not go to your brother's house in the day of your calamity. Better is a neighbor who is near than a brother who is far away. And then jumping to verse 17. Iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Friends, let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for your word that you have given us. That from your word we see that there's a joy, that there's a happiness, that there's a delight that comes from relationships. We pray that you administer deeply to our hearts now, that you would plant your word deeply, that we would be a people of hope and not cynicism, because you are at work. That's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. I know that there's an outline in your, your worship guides, and I'm going to actually tweak it a little bit. Because as we see from this passage that relationships are a good thing, that oil and honey, oil and perfume, not honey, that's pretty different. Oil and perfume make the heart glad and the sweetness of a friend comes from earnest counsel that we see that there on the very clearly that relationships are a good thing, that relationships are a good thing. And so why is that the case? The first thing to highlight is that relationships are God's idea. And this is the first point for the sermon this morning. Because we are made for relationships. In the very beginning of the biblical story in creation, God made Adam. And that he is alone. He is surrounded by all these animals. And as God was creating and he was doing his wonderful work, he would say at the end of every day, this is good. This is very good. And yet when he came to man... It says, it is not good for man to be alone. It is not good for man to be alone. And so at that moment, God then goes and creates Eve, a partner, a help for Adam. But that word help, that's from the Hebrew word ezer. Yes, in the context of marriage, that's thinking about being partners together, helping one another. But in the grand scheme of things, that actually gives us a picture of companionship and friendship. That within our own humanity and our relationships with one another, that we are helps to one another. So the simple point is, from even the very beginning of creation, that we need community. We need companions. Why is that the case? If you go on into Genesis 2, you find this statement, let us make man in our own image, in our own likeness. There's a key word there. Let us make man in our own image. That right there is a reference to God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. That here we have a picture of God being a God of community. That this, there's, our God is three persons in one God. That he is equal in power and glory. Distinct but not separate. That God is working for our salvation. How One way to think about it is that the Father elects, the Son atones, the Holy Spirit applies. That God is committed to our salvation. But there is one God. Deuteronomy 6.5, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. See, God lives within perfect community within himself. And so as God made us and designed us for relationships, 
we reflect his character. We reflect his, we reflect who he is. And so if we're going to reflect his character, uh, because he is a God of relationships, then we need to be in relationship with one another. So in the very clearly, relationships are God's idea. That's Genesis 1, Genesis 2. But then in Genesis 3, sin enters into the world. And this couple, Adam and Eve, they, when they would look, when Adam first saw Eve, he broke out in song. He was speechless. Now, as sin enters into the world, Adam blames Eve. He said, hey, she gave me the apple. But then, God, but then Adam even accuses God, this woman that you gave me. So the, what happens because of sin, sin corrupts our relationships. You go to Genesis 4. That Cain is jealous of his brother Abel. And because he is jealous of his brother, he murders him. Can you just think about the power of jealousy there? I want that. I need that. I don't like that you have something I don't. Murder. See, sin corrupts relationships. And this is why relationships are hard. This is why relationships are frustrating. That sin resides in me, it resides in you, and every single person whom you are in relationship with, sin is there. And so this leads many counselors to actually highlight sin in, in marriages. Because within marriage, that is really the closest relationship that two people can have with one another. Some of those books, Dave Harvey wrote a book entitled, When Sinners Say I Do. Paul David Tripp wrote another one, What Did You Expect? Like that's the whole profound point, that when we are in relationship with one another, there's going to be sin. And so this is where we go head to head with God. That as we think about our relationships, we have our own agendas. When we think about our relationships, we have our own desires. And these agendas, these desires, these wants, they're going to be different than God's. And God has plans for your relationships. See, when you think about this idea of agendas, that we want our Christian life to be easy. We want our Christian life to make us happy. So we want our relationships just to be smooth sailing. But God is actually after something much deeper than us just being happy and having things be easy and being smooth. Because God is after a wholehearted renovation. That God wants to renovate our entire lives. And so he will settle for nothing less than new creation. He will settle for nothing less than seeing his glory being perfectly reflected in our daily lives. And that's going to be including our relationships. Because our, we are made to glorify God. We are meant to make him famous. And our relationships are an essential part of that. So to continue with this question, are relationships worth it? If we, the relationships are God's idea. But what is God's purpose? What, why does God want us to be in relationships? Here's two reasons. The first thing, relationships help you know yourself. Relationships help you know yourself. The truth is, I learn more about myself being in relationship with others than I do on my own. 
That is how God designed relationships to work. It would actually be quite dismissive and arrogant to think that I can know myself just by reading a book. Like, did the author of that book write it knowing me? No. Like, there's a spiritual discipline of solitude where we withdraw to be alone with God. That's beautiful and it's good. Let me encourage you to do that. But if I'm alone all the time and not in community, I'm not going to grow. I'm not going to change. Our, the spiritual disciplines are meant to complement one another. Like you fast. If you're fasting all the time, you're starving. If you're practicing solitude all the time, then you are actually in isolation and alone. So there's like fasting goes with feasting. Solitude goes with community. That's just a picture of the spiritual dis- disciplines. But this idea that relationships are how God helps us know ourselves. So a year ago, I was with some friends, and I was sharing parts of my story with them. And this was the first time they were hearing my story in this way. And as I was sharing my story, one of my, one of my friends was there, and he was putting some things together. He heard how I was being bullied how I was bullied as a child, I should say. And he saw a reason why I was bullied, how I was kind and soft-spoken, tender-hearted, easygoing. I was not a jock. I was a dork, to be very clear. And I was bullied. And so he perceived that I was being bullied for being kind. And he also saw that I was actually like holding kind words back that I was not being as compassionate as I actually am made to be, as he he would say it. And so he says, Robbie, don't ever apologize for being compassionate. Just be compassionate. No one's going to hurt you. Christ has made you secure. See, in that moment, I learned something about my history, my story, and from 20, 30 years ago, and saw its impact on me today through the gift of relationships. And I was encouraged to demonstrate the love of Christ through my life together. See, relationships help us know ourselves. But it's not just knowing ourselves and how we tick, but even relationships are given to help us know our sinfulness. Just think about this, because in our relationships, we, that is the, when we are close to other people and we're going to experience each other's sinfulness. They're going to experience our sinfulness too. And so this could be a friendship, marriage, parenting, working, because we're all sinners and sin is not going anywhere. Sin is going to persist and be present and so problems and conflict will abound. There's this one book and I need to be very clear that I'm drawing a lot of today's sermon from this one book. It's, called Paul Dave, it's written by Paul Dave Tripp and Tim Lane. It's called Relationships, A Mess Worth Making. Pretty clear. I'm taking all this from them. And this is what they write. The health and maturity of a relationship is not marked by the absence of problems, but by the way those inevitable problems are handled. A good relationship involves honestly identifying the sin patterns that tend to trouble it, Healthy, mature relationships involve humility where you are humble to guard yourself and even guard the other person from these sinful patterns. Wise relationships seek to grow in awareness of this deeper struggle. 
See, if we don't accept this idea, then we're going to be frustrated. And we're also going to be frustrating. That people are going to experience us and be frustrated by us. We ourselves will be frustrated because we are constantly being disappointed that our expectations are not being met. That we are being frustrated because we're getting hurt. But also, and by us, people aren't living up to our expectations. And vice versa. That people would be frustrated by us because we're trying to control or punish or just use the other. Because as we think about our agendas here in relationships, our agendas come to the surface. And this gets us to the second thing, that, the second purpose that God has for your relationships. That relationships are given for our sanctification. So on one hand, we see that our relationships are given to help diagnose, to help us see our sinfulness. But on the other hand, relationships, but, but on the other hand, but also relationships are given to help us grow and be holy. So again, this is from that book, Relationships and Mess Worth Making. They ask the question, what do you want out of relationships? Like, what do you want God to do in the other person and through them? Will you settle for comfort, approval, ease, and happiness? Or are you willing to take up God's vision for your relationships? Because our sanctification, our growth in Christ, is actually at stake in how we answer that question. That change is a community project. Change occurs within and through relationships. See, the this is true for us no matter what our relationships are. But God keeps us in messy relationships and difficult relationships for the very clear reason for our sanctification. That God keeps you in messy relationships for our sanctification. We see this in verse 17. Iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. Do you know what it takes for iron to sharpen iron? It's a pretty cool YouTube video. Like, so the metal has to be heated. And as the metal is heated, it becomes red hot. It's pulled out of the, of the fire. And then it's hammered. It's pounded. It's beaten into the desired shape. And then once it's cooled down, it's filed. It's filed down to become sharp. But do you know what happens as you're watching these videos? Because I'm not a blacksmith. I learned from YouTube. As you're watching this, you're seeing sparks fly. You see sparks fly. And so this proverb is is catching a redemptive edge to our relationships. Because when we think at how we are in community to one another, this is God's purpose of having us in conflict, in messy relationships, because God is working and sanctifying our hearts. And friends, if you're married, you know this. You know this because you know that marriage changes you. If you are a parent, you know that from the very first moment that you hold that little newborn, you know from that moment your life is forever going to be different. That as you look at your children, as they grow up, I know it's hard when they're newborns, but as they grow up, you're going to look at your child and you're going to see that's the best of me and that's also the worst of me. All right there. But redemptive relationships are not only for married people, are not only for parents, 
redemptive relationships can actually be in any type of relationship that you have. I think about my best friend in high school who called me a jerk after having some sort of debate. He's like, you're being a jerk right now. I think of coworkers, people who I've worked alongside in churches, and how they've said, hey, you're stepping on my toes right now, or I'm feeling unappreciated. And so I think about my work relationships, friendships, marriage, parenting, and more, that God has me in these relationships to help me grow and change, and the same is true for you. There is a battle that is occurring in our hearts. Because when we have come to a relationship, we are actually looking at that relationship with our own agenda. For example, in work, it's very easy to have a utilitarian agenda for, in our work relationships. Let's just get this done. Let's just get it done well and efficiently, and let's just move on. Or we can have a relationship that's about ourse- still all about ourselves, but it's romantic. It's infatuation. It's not love. See, what happens in our, in our relationships is that we actually are in our heart saying to ourselves that we want to be the one ruling our life instead of God. So the, these relationships are about our happiness, our success, our reputation, and security. But go back to God's idea and his design for our relationships. Let us make man in our image. That our relationships are meant to reflect his glory. That God doesn't want, God doesn't want you to be happy. He wants you to be joyful. He wants something deeper for you. He wants you to have life. See, this redemption, these redemptive relationships don't happen on their, their own. They actually take incredible work. Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 3, says this. Paul calls us to live worthy of the calling you have received. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. See, these redemptive relationships take work on our parts. See, our natural and sinful inclinations is to be alienated from one another. It's the Spirit who brings unity. It is the Spirit who reconciles. And so as you think about that one point right there, it is a miracle if you have any good relationships. If you have any good relationship, it is a miracle and it's solely by God's grace because our sinfulness alienates us from one another. Because this posture that Paul calls us to have of humility and gentleness and patience, it requires us to own our sin to put our agendas aside and put the other person's interests before our own, to use our position to to empower others. And it involves love, forbearing love. And see, Jesus taught this law of love when he said, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. So just ask yourself the question, how do you want to be treated? How do you want to be treated? I was very tempted to, when Isaac and Sabrina got married a week ago, I was very tempted to have this be the passage for that wedding homily from 1 Corinthians 13, 7 and 9, that love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Friends, don't every single one of us want to be loved that way? With this grace and this patience and this kindness? Don't we want to be loved that way? But the reason that we don't treat each other that way is because we are sinners. That we are sinners. And when we 
are sinners, we forget whom God has actually made us, what God has done in our life, and what God has done in each other's lives. It's like this, that in in marriage, that when you fight with your spouse, you're actually forgetting the fundamental truth that you're on the same team. When you're discussing how do you parent and you're experiencing conflict that way, it's the same thing. We're on the same team. If you would lie to someone, you are actually saying that with that lie, I, can, I am not safe if I trust, entrust you with the truth. So I cannot trust you. If you lie, you're treating other people as an enemy. But the picture that we see from Ephesians is that God has made us one with one another. That God has adopted us. That God has made us his own people. See, we forget our own sinfulness And we forget that we are in relationship with other image bearers, with other people whom Jesus Christ died for. And if if Jesus died for you, if Jesus died for you, then why, why would I say we can't be in relationship with one another? See, if Christ died, Jesus Christ died for us to be one. And if Jesus dwells within you and dwells within me, then why should we not be in life together? This is the picture of relationships that we have here. And this type of posture for us to embrace this redemptive design for our relationships, it takes grace. It takes grace. Because we cannot forget who we are, that every single one of us are sinners. That we are here this morning desperately in need of grace. And it's, and relationships are truly an incredible picture of that grace. We, a few moments ago, we sang the song, Amazing Grace, My Chains Are Gone. That is a popular rendition of the classic Amazing Grace by John Newton. But John Newton wrote the many songs with one of his friends in his church, William Cowper. Those hymns that every single, it's pretty amazing when you think about it, that every Sunday as Newton would preach, he would sit with William Cowper and talk about the sermon. And William Cowper would write a hymn based upon that sermon, that text. And that was to help a church that could not read how to worship God. But do you notice what just happened there? A deeper experience of grace was born out of a friendship that we still embrace and enjoy. That we, every single person here is a sinner who needs God's grace. And the wonderful picture is that God pours out his grace on each one of us. That while we are sinners, God's grace abounds for us. That God showers and lavishes and outpours his grace upon us. And so as we think about this wonderful design for relationships, they're God's idea. And we are to call to reflect his character in our relationships with one another. But here's the truth. We can't do that. We cannot do that on our own. Jesus Christ is the one who empowers us. God is the one who enables us to do this. And that's because something terrible, something horrible happened upon the cross. And as we look at this, this is actually wonderful, but it's truly horrible. That Jesus, when he cries out from the cross, we see this, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? See, the loving relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is the basis for all our relationships. But there on the cross, 
that relationship is broken. And no other relationship has suffered more than God, than our triune God, because Jesus took my sin and died there. That Jesus took your sin and died there. He paid the penalty that we deserve, that Jesus was willing to be rejected by the Father so you would be reconciled with the Father. He was willing to be forsaken so that you would be befriended. He was willing to be abandoned so you would be adopted. So friends, what a wonderful God that we have. And so as we look to God for our help, as we look to God and ask him to shower us with grace to help us live in this type of relationship, he enables us to do so. He empowers us to do so because he wants us to do so. Amen. And let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your good word that you have given us. But we also thank you not only for your good word, but also for your love, how your word tells us about your love. That your son was forsaken so we'd be befriended, abandoned so that we would be adopted, rejected so that we'd be reconciled to you. And so, Father, because that we are one with you, we pray that you would help us to be one with one another. Father, we pray that you would help us to embrace relationships in this way, to embrace this wonderful, wonderful gift, that relationships are absolutely worth having because they help us glorify you. They help us know ourselves. They help us grow in love. So, Father, we pray that in the coming days and weeks that we would see ourselves moving toward each other and others, that we would be embracing the other because you have embraced us. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.